All right, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll get going. Father, thank you again for your presence, that you are always with us, that you never leave us. Father, we ask you again that you would come and, and meet with us, make yourself known to us, show us how to how to become acquainted with you. Show us how to interact with you and to speak with you and to experience you and encounter you. We tend to forget quickly uh, how, to, how to even approach you. So we need help from you to even know how to come to you and ask you to touch us. But Father, I just thank you for what you've done here in the last week, on Sunday and on Tuesday, and uh, that you are making yourself known to us. So we just ask that that would continue and that that would continue to grow until everyone who's in our midst has come to know you themselves. We love you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, so... um, Ooh, who's got the sandwich? That's what I'm talking about. Uh, last uh, couple of weeks, we um, we uh, we we looked at um, seeking God, encountering God, um, experiential knowledge of God, and so the kind of the, the launch point has been that John 17 verse three, eternal life is this that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And understanding that the context for knowing God is that experiential knowledge. That that's, it's not about belief. It's not about doing all the right things and uh, having our Christian activity structured correctly. It's a true knowledge of God. Like um, when I actually get to sit down with you and have a conversation or touch you or talk to you or get to know your personality and see you express yourself and have you show up at my house and have dinner together, or do a project together, it's getting to know God in that way. It's, it's coming to feel Him, to experience Him, at times emotionally, and other times it's just knowing that He's involved in your life. That's experiential knowledge of God. Um, so, with that in mind, last week we looked at the cry, crying out that God would meet us. And make himself known to us. And Sunday was a really powerful, um, was a really powerful service. Um, not just for me, but for other people as well. Um, thank you to Trevor and Heather for um, leading us that way. I found myself finding the original song during the week because it was in my head all week, and I'm listening to the original, and I was just so disappointed. Um, no offense to the original author or performer of it, but it was just much better on Sunday. Um, So whenever you guys get that recording done, uh, just let me know. Um, But there was such a a sense of the presence of God for a number of people here Sunday. And I found myself standing back watching and just trying to interact with God and, God, what's happening right now? You know, what, what are you doing in the hearts of people and Josh Brinkman sauntered over in his cowboy-like fashion, and he stood next to me, and he's like, um, I feel like 
there's so much hunger in the group right now, you can almost feel it, but nobody really knows what to do. Like, what do I do when I'm hungry for God? Or what do I, what do I do when I feel like God's right there and I can feel him tugging on my heart? And, you know, what Heather shares up front is making me want to say yes. Or, you know, the, the song that Trevor's singing is, I'm right there. What do I do now? And uh, so I realized, you know, looking back, we had, to, we had people around us that helped us answer those questions. And a lot of it, we had to just plow through and find answers ourselves. And what I hope to do a little bit of tonight is share with you some stories, but also maybe help you walk through some uncharted waters, some uncharted territory, and make it a little bit, uh, not easier, but more straight path than what we maybe took. And I think that's the right way to go about it in the church is, we're not supposed to just go of our own, our own accord and our own path. And, well, you guys are coming after, and you got to go through a lot of the same things we did, but you're on your own. We're not going to share with you anything we learned. I think it's our job to, to share with you what we've learned and what we experienced, and hopefully you can glean a couple morsels of uh, helpful information and apply them to your own situation. So the question I hope to answer a bit tonight is, what do, I do, what do I do when God is moving? What do I do when God is moving? So before we go there, though, I want I to, I have to talk about a little bit something first. Um, the first question you have to answer before you answer, what do I do when God is moving, is this question. Have I decided that above all else, I will follow and seek God. So since I think we're all Christians, um, we would all say absolutely yes. Because we say Jesus is Savior and we say Jesus is Lord. Maybe you can't, but I think most of us would say absolutely yes. I have decided that above all else, I will seek after and follow God. I want to say something about this, though. If you remember some of Jesus' language, it's not often touched on now in the Western church because we're just trying to be everybody. We want to get everybody into the church. Jesus didn't take the same approach. Uh, Jesus took the approach where he actually warned people, before you jump into this, count the cost. You're going to have to die for this. Jesus didn't take the approach that, yeah, just everybody come on in. You can just hang out and be whatever and we'll just take care of you. And that was not the Jesus that you read about in the Gospels. There are these moments where he loved everyone and we love the story about the woman caught in adultery and how he healed the lepers. And Jesus wasn't afraid of anyone's sin. But he also required of them an abandonment of their own lordship of their own lives. And so that's really something that we have to resolve before we can get into seeking God. And I'll explain why in a little bit. So Jesus tells us, count the cost. He wanted us to know that to truly come after him, we'd be forced to walk away from everything else. So Jesus, when you look at it, he's offering us eternal life in heaven instead of hell. 
forgiveness and total removal of shame and guilt that we have borne for our past actions. Total removal. Your sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west. I remember your sin no more. So if he doesn't remember it, why should we? So total removal of shame and guilt that we have carried for our past actions. Freedom. He gives us freedom, which means the power to overcome our sin and struggle. So now the thing that we used to be held by, captive to, he gives us the power to be set free from it and to live apart from that sin. He gives us a kingdom that will never end. He gives it to us. He gives us a family to belong to that belongs to us. With him is the father who always provides for his children. He gives us true friendship with himself. Not just a parental relationship, but a brother relationship. So I'm just trying to give you a real general, some of the things that, that he's promising to us and giving to us. We could go on forever, but it gives you a little bit of an idea. But Jesus says about this, if you want any of that, if you want me and friendship with me, you must be willing to do whatever I ask of you or tell you to do. And as I said, we all say, of course, you're the Lord of my life. You're my Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But a lot of times what happens, then when Jesus actually speaks and he's like, do this, we have this instant reaction. A lot of times it's, that's not God. God wouldn't say that. Um, God would never ask me to do that. And we... We pull back when God's leading in a direction. We, whoa! I don't want to go there. But consider the things that Jesus uh, himself called different individuals away from. When we're saying to ourselves, God wouldn't say that, let's just look at some of the things that Jesus called people away from. Parents, brothers and sisters, jobs, Wealth, plans and dreams, friends and social groups, dignity and image, and control. Now, I can go back through and tell you a person for each of these. Elisha was called away from his parents. Brothers and sisters, most of the disciples had to walk away from everybody, their families, everyone. Jobs, Peter, these guys walked away from their careers their wealth, the rich young ruler, leave everything, come follow me, give it to the poor. Jesus indiscriminately required everything of everyone. What's interesting, I think that if you don't have a heart issue where with family, with parents, with money, he doesn't necessarily need to call you away from it. But he's going to challenge the thing that you hold dear. And the last item I used here was control, and I did that very intentionally because I think that control is the key to all the others. When we are in control of these things, we remain as Lord of our lives. So i got to qualify the word control a little bit because 
Self-control is a really good thing. So, so what's self-control? Self-control is the ability to do what you ought to do. Yeah? It's the ability to do the thing that you should do, and it's the ability to not do the thing that you shouldn't do. That's what self-control is. That's not the kind of control I'm looking at here, though. Control is the authoritative decision uh, that I'm going to be the one who ultimately decides the course for my life. So there's a little bit of tension because ultimately you get to obey or not obey whenever God speaks. However, in this context, when you are in control, God has to get your approval first. So I want you to do this. Mm, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. You're still in charge. You are still the Lord of this area of your life and ultimately every area of your life. And, and this is what God is going to challenge. And this is what Jesus does challenge when we start to come to him. Is our control where when he says do this, we go, ah, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that yet. That's control. And that's what has to go. So the first layer of control that I see for us as Christians that we have to deal with is the unwillingness to acknowledge that God is speaking to us. Romans 1 says that God is making himself known. He's speaking to people through all sorts of different avenues. I think God's communicating with everyone all the time and trying to get their attention. He says that even nature displays his wonder. And that if people deny the existence of God, no one has an excuse because nature itself testifies of the glory of God. So we can't say that some, per, some people have not heard of the glory of God because Scripture says that everybody's gotten to see it if they've ever gotten to experience what he created. God is communicating constantly and we tend to, to shut that possibility down because that's the first and quickest way to eliminate our need to respond when he does. If we believe that God doesn't speak, we don't have any obligation to obey. Right? We got to do the things that he says in the Bible, but those are just like, they're kind of like structures and rules and ways to be a good Christian. But they're not relational. That's the difference between the real gospel and the religious Christianity that says, these are the things that I have to do. This side of things says, I'm doing whatever Jesus says to do because he communicates with me. We have to acknowledge that God speaks to us individually, personally. Not just broadly, but specifically. Secondly, and this, for probably most of us, I think most of us probably at this point in our lives would, would say that I think that God leads me or nudges me. Um, you know, I remember sitting in a room when I, uh, it was like 2003 with a lady who was, um, she was awesome. She was a really charismatic lady. And uh, she led like the first college Bible study I was a part of. She had this white hair. And uh, just an intense lady. And she always talked about, God told me this. God told me this. And I remember hearing that and being like, <sighs> and we duped it out. 
about this. I'm like, what do you mean God told you? God spoke to me. You heard him? Well, not with my ears. Well, how did you hear him? Well, you hear him in your spirit, in your mind. So she has this experience knowing that God speaks. I don't. So I'm challenging this. I'm challenging it, one, because it better be real if you're saying it. And two, if it is real, i got to figure out how this, this happens. And then over the course of time, you come to find out that, wow, she wasn't as crazy as I thought. Um, and she actually was hearing God. God does actually communicate. So I totally understand where you're kind of going, what do you mean he speaks? Um, my own personal experience, I've had dreams where, that are absolutely undeniable um, that God spoke. He spoke of things that would happen years before they actually happened. And then the exact thing happened. Um, that's unusual. Um, I've, had, I've heard the audible voice of God in a dream twice. So I've actually heard, um, so I know that God speaks. Most of the time, it's not that dramatic. Um, a lot of times, it's like a thought or a feeling, like, I should, I should do this. And it's not like this, you should do this. It's, you just kind of feel like, I should probably go over here and, you know, pray for Shar or talk to Shar or ask Shar to pray for me. Um, it's, you know, we talk about that still, small voice. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's booming thunder. But a lot of the time, it almost feels more like a thought. And that's God speaking. And you find that out as you try it and you listen. You're like, oh, is it? It was him. Is it? I, I, it was right. It's really cool. So when we figure out that God does communicate, he does move us and he does speak to us, we refuse to position our hearts with a constant yes, God. We pass it through the filter of approval where he speaks and we go, ah. That's not the approach that will get us into encounters with God. When God speaks or he nudges or he moves or you get a feeling and you go, mm, and there's this decision moment, that's what God is trying to settle in our hearts now, early on, so that we establish a premise that when God speaks, we act. It doesn't pass through the approval filter. He's the Lord, so we say yes. But I think a lot of times we have this approval process when God speaks because First of all, we make assumptions right away about what's going to happen if we do what he says. Have you guys ever done this? Because I do this all the time. God's like, I want you to do this. And we make assumptions about what's going to happen if we do it. Man, when I, I worked at the uh, Baby Cakes, this is this coffee shop in town, and I remember when I was first learning to pray for people in public, and God would be like, I want you to go pray for that person. Um, they have a broken foot or... I'd feel like I should pray for this someone and maybe share something with them. I had a dream about a couple of different ladies um, that I didn't even know, and then they would walk in, and I'd be like, 
holy cow. Um, and I remember the first time I had a dream about a lady and she walked in the door the next morning and I'm like, I knew I was supposed to share it, but I made assumptions about what would happen and how she'd react and I didn't do it. And I was so frustrated with myself. I'd made assumptions and I'd, I'd thought that I would know the consequences. So I didn't say it, you know, and a couple of weeks go by and of course it just eats at me because I, if fear beats me, I get really angry. Um, and so if I'm afraid to do something, I just have to do it. And um, so the next time she walked in, it was like three weeks later or something, and I said, I have to tell you something. Um, I said, when you walked in here three weeks ago, I had had this dream about you the night before. <laughs> and she was like, oh. I was like, I know that's weird. We don't know each other. But I said, I had a dream about you and your daughter. And I said, you were at a hospital, and you were talking to your daughter, and you're really concerned about your daughter. And she starts crying. She's like, I was in the hospital the night before that with my daughter. And I was like, this would have been a lot more powerful in that moment. I was still able to share with her and like pray with her, but I missed. It was three weeks too late. And I got to see the effects of not obeying, and that had a huge impact on me. So hopefully sharing that story with you. And if you remember Ryan's story from Sunday, a similar, similar vein. But ultimately, we're passing this through this filter because we think we know what's best for us. I had in here my notes, and I took it out, that this, in my mind, may have been what uh, Adam and Eve were getting with the knowledge of good and evil. That they, they, they got the ability to think they'd know what was best for them, good or evil. And it's so destructive because when he speaks, he always, always has our best interests in mind. He will lead us into difficult things, but he always has good intentions for us. And we pass it through the filter, and when we do and we assume consequences, and usually the consequences that we assume aren't good, when is the last time God's like, I want you to do something, you're like, oh, this is going to be great! Usually we're pretty pessimistic with listening to the voice of God. And we eliminate that future that he's trying to lead us into when we pass it through this filter and, and we prevent ourselves from moving forward in God. We have to settle this yes heart position with God in our hearts so that we can relinquish lordship of our lives to Jesus or our pursuit of him will be in vain. Why? Because I know that he's going to tell you to do things that you would never do of your own accord. In fact, he's going to tell you to do things that you downright do not want to do. And that you are going to, it's going to require of you a commitment to doing what he said because he said it, not because of any other reason about feeling good or the consequence of the reward. So, I want to look at how God speaks to us in this phase. Some of the things that he's going to ask you to do and how important they are, even though they seem so small. You see, because God knows 
as we start to pursue him exactly what to challenge us with and exactly how to offend us at exactly the right time. I remember realizing this at this church very early on that um, if you're going to invite someone to this church for the first time, they're going to be offended in their first visit without question. I, I remember the strangest things about people that would get invited here and they'd have one issue with the church and that's exactly what the entire message would be about. Why? Because God's like, I got one shot at this heart. I have to go at the one thing because they're going to have to deal with it at some point. Let's do it up front. And I realized right away, if I wasn't willing to have someone that needed to be offended, offended, I just couldn't invite them. That's one of the beautiful things about this place is the presence of God is here and he is going to address heart issues in people. And he always knows how to challenge us and what needs to be addressed in our heart. Think about it this way. So this was kind of me about three years in, two, three years in with my new Christian, renewed Christian experience. Good, dignified, self-controlled Christian. Uh, He might ask me to put my hands up in the air during worship. In 2004, I was at this thing at Willow Creek. You guys know what Willow Creek is? It's like professionals, you know? And, uh, I mean, not professional Christians, but they're like pro-Christians. <laughs> but there's a lot of professionals there, you know? And uh, I went to this leadership conference there, and this guy, Robin Mark, is singing, and he's like Irish, and um, he's singing this revival song, and I feel like the Lord is like, put your hands up in the air. And I did not put my hands up in the air at that time in my life. Uh, I, I didn't really care for express, expressing emotion at all um, at that point in my life. And so when he's like, put your hands up in the air, I'm just like this. You know, I, I always stood like this during worship. I worship on the inside. You know, and that was my worship experience. And so now he's like, I want you to put your hands up. And so I'm just like. (laughs) And this went on for 20 minutes. Seriously, 20 minutes. Like the whole worship set, I'm just like. (laughs) And I'm looking. You're looking for that one guy at Willow Creek who's in the back, you know. And. And finally, I'm just like, screw it, you know? And I put my hands up and just, I just start, boom, presence of God. And I just weeping. And I'm like, son of a gun. So, you know, then the next like 12 worship services I'm at, I just walk in the door like this. I'm ready again, Lord, you know? But it's not, it's not about what you did that one time. It's about what is he saying to do this time? It's not about a hand or a song, or a yell, or a position, or a scream, or a wail. It's about what is God saying to do right now that gives us access to be in his presence. You know, it's going to be very different for the person who's a broken, radical, slung-out addict, and they come wandering in here, and we've had quite a few of these. 
They're not afraid to have hands up, screaming in worship, rolling on the floor, slobbering, crying, because they don't think of themselves as having dignity. But you know what? God might ask them to start dressing modestly, take out their piercings, and speak without cursing. Might be a totally different set of things that he's saying, I want you to do this if you want to access my presence. Why? Because he's challenging his, no, he's challenging our lordship over my own life. God's not concerned if I can put my hands up. He doesn't need me to put my hands up. He doesn't need somebody to stop rolling on the floor or take out their piercings. He doesn't need any of that to meet with us. But he'll challenge us in the way that I need to be challenged, where I have lordship issues in my life. Make me deal with them before he'll meet with me. To do this, he is going to require you to do the things that you're uncomfortable doing. In other words, he's going to tell you to do exactly what you don't want to do, and then he'll meet you there. And he does this so that you will learn that it's better for you when he is in charge. That it's better for you when you do what he says to do. So now that we know why he's doing this, I just want to take the rest of the the time here and I want to look at some different ways that he does it. I want to say this. Remember what I said about the hands? It doesn't matter if I keep my hands up in worship. That's not what it's about. In the same regard, last week I talked about crying out, and I really want to emphasize this. Being more desperate is not necessarily going to get you into God's presence. It may not be about desperation, because you know what I've figured out over the last few years? Sometimes the way he wants to meet us is not in desperation. It's in celebration. There are times where we, it's, we, we revert into this, I just have to be desperate and cry out for God, and God's going, I want to dance. I want to celebrate. I want to get everybody up here. And What is he saying? What is he doing? Our tendency is to look back on how God moved in the past and revert to that again, and try to do the same thing we did last time to meet him, and that's not how he works, because that's not relationship. That's what religion looks like. Relationship is, what is God doing today? How does he want to do it today? How does he want to meet us today? And there are days where he's like, I want you to get down, and I want you to cry out. I want you to grieve. I want you to mourn. But there are other days where he goes, I want to dance. I remember one of the most powerful worship moments I've ever experienced was at Jamrich. We were in this time where we were really crying out for God. And all of a sudden, my brother-in-law is on stage worshiping, and he sets down his guitar as the worship leader, and he starts to dance across the stage. Do you remember this? It was so powerful. All of a sudden, it was like, God was there. And I remember some of our now leaders in this church were down in the front. You got people weeping and wailing on one side of the room. You have people dancing on the other side of the room. And the only way that's possible is with a personal God who's like, I want you to do this, and we do it, and he moves. And Brent's a horrible dancer. (laughs) 
being more desperate isn't always the answer. Being more obedient is always the answer. We have to hear what God's saying or we have to see what God's doing. So sometimes you'll feel something, okay? Sometimes you're going to hear something. Sometimes you're going to, God uses other people. Somebody might come up to you and just put your arm and like, I think you should get prayed for or you should go up there or you feel God saying, put your hands up or you feel God saying, I want you to go up to the front. But other times we stand back in some ways and we look at what has God been working in my life? What has he been orchestrating in my circumstances? God, guys, God uses our circumstances to speak to us. So we sometimes feel it and we're right in there and we, we know what he's saying. And other times we have to stand back we have to look at it and see his working in a situation and go, this is where I need to be in this moment because this is what God's been doing. And boom, we're there and he meets us. You guys remember Abraham, uh, Abram's call? So this, I want to give you some examples and I'm going to give you some examples of the Bible first so you don't think I'm totally crazy. And then we'll get into some of the more experiential ones um, where we can look at maybe some of the internal struggle that comes along with God speaking. Because we don't necessarily get to see what do these guys feel in the Bible when they were called or sent. So Abram, what did God say to Abram? Go from your country. Hey God, I'm Abram, go. Okay, this is how it starts out with the Lord. So Abram doesn't get like the trainee program. He just gets, get out of your country. So how many of us, right in this moment, with all of our plans and all of our, you know, things that we've been doing and where we're going and I've got it going on, if God were to meet you, boom, you're in the presence of God and he goes, go from your country, drop everything and you're gone. Joseph's call. Not the Old Testament, the New Testament one. Mary, you're pregnant with someone else's child fiancé. She got knocked up. This is her fault. Okay, now you're telling me it's your fault. How do you respond to that? You can imagine some of the inner turmoil. God goes, marry her. Okay, then. Elisha's call. Leave your father and mother. You're coming with me. These are challenging things, aren't they? They're not things that fit into our concept of a Christian God. But this is the God. And he, by the way, he did found Christianity, so I think it may be just our concept that got sidetracked. Moses' call, turn to the burning bush. Moses, he's out there, he sees the burning bush, he's like, Whew. he comes over, what's God say? Take off your shoes. Dang, there's snakes out here, man. I don't know, maybe sometimes it's really simple and sometimes it's really hard. 
I guess if I were choosing between Moses and Abram, I'd probably pick the Moses, take your shoes off instead of the Abram one. But, you know, it might be different for somebody else. What about Peter? Leave your career. Peter, just walk away from it. Come with me. Just leave it all. It's my family business. Walk away. I know that conceptually we all say, I would do this in a second. What about Daniel's call? Be a vegan. I would be arguing on that one. Yeah. How about, can I have the carnivore one? So, I want to look at a few personal experiences. Um, some, some were me, some were other people, but these are experiences that different ones have had. Why do I want to do this? Because when we read the scripture and we see the stories, we all say, yes, I will do that. Choose me. Here am I. Send me. And then God in a worship service goes, go to the front, get down on your knees and put your hands up. And we go, not a chance. I'll leave my father and mother and go to another country, but go to the front, get down on my knees and put my hands up. You're dreaming. And he's like, then I can't meet you. I can't touch you. You're keeping me at a distance. I can't get close to you unless I'm Lord. I mentioned the Willow Creek example uh, earlier, and it sounds so small, but it was so huge for me in that moment because I had to choose in this moment around a bunch of people that I don't know if their already low opinion of me would prevent me from doing what I needed to do to meet with God. Does that make sense? I remember Alan Hood saying this really funny thing. Don't worry what people think about you. They probably don't think about you at all. I was like, yeah. he's probably right. A lot of what God does, particularly in a public setting when he comes to meet with us, is he's forcing us to decide, do I want to experience the presence of God or do I want to maintain the image that I carry about what people think of me? My concern with people's opinion of me was hindering my pursuit of Jesus and my ability to encounter him and to know him. I think this is fairly frequent for most of us, you know, that God starts to move and we go, oh no, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the hyper, the really, really, you know, dramatic one. And I don't want to be the super charismatic one. Man, one of my closest friends, he was the most, maybe one of the most conservative young men that we've ever had through the doors. And he became the flopper. Like, you'd pray for him, and the presence of God would come on him, and he would just start flopping and seizing. And <laughs> I remember talking to him about, him about it, and he's just like, it's worth it. And he had an experience where he was with a group of people in public that were, they were non-Christians, and he felt the Lord coming on him, and he felt it starting to happen. 
and he, he restrained it. And he, he was like, no, not here. And God withdrew. And I remember him calling me, and I came down and met with him here, and he was just sobbing. He was just sobbing. He was so grieved. He's like, I could have sat in the presence of God with all these people around. Let them see what it looks like to experience, encounter God. And I didn't. I wasn't willing to do it because I was afraid of what they would think. You see, when God, he starts to challenge these things in our hearts, this isn't a one-time thing that stops once we meet him. It happens more and more consistently as we get to know him better. He's committed to transforming all of us, our entirety to look like him. He's committed to our hearts. He's committed to our emotions. He's committed to working with us. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. It's not a one-time challenge your issue and then on to the next. It's a constant thing where he's working with us and transforming us into his likeness and image. I had another one of these with, uh, it was public emotion. I, had, I used to boast that I hadn't cried in over 10 years. I hadn't shed a tear in over 10 years, um, which is really funny because now I'm just happy to get like 10 minutes um, without it happening. But I remember this was, it had been about 10 years and I had a mentor at, a, at another church and uh, he died in an accident and I was at his funeral and a good friend of mine spoke at the funeral and I remember sitting there and feeling like you're going to cry and I'm fighting it. I'm going, this has been years. I haven't cried in years. And my parents were going through a divorce at the time and my dad was on one side and my mom was on the other side. So it was like kind of weird that way. And all of a sudden I was like, fine. <laughs> Boom, the floodgates just opened up. I had my hands, my elbows on my knees and my, my face in my hands like this and tears just streamed down my face. There was a, like a puddle, like it wasn't just soaking into the carpet, it was like accumulating on the floor. And it went on for like an hour and a half. It just felt like forever. And I left and I was like, I don't know that I've ever felt so emotionally relieved in my life. It was like just release of 10 years of pent-up emotional junk um, and I encountered God. Sometimes it might be going to the front of the church. How many of us love doing this? Okay, I didn't think we did. Um, I don't know why this is, but in the Old Testament, there was the presence of God was more intense near the altar, in the Holy of Holies. I don't know why. I know he's omnipotent. I know he can do whatever he wants. I know he can meet the guy in the back corner or the guy in the bar just as much as he can meet people at the front of the church. And I don't know why this is. I just know that it is. And the Bible supports it. Often when God's moving, people miss it that won't get near to the front. I don't know why. Um, and I would tell you that if I never preached in this church and never gave another altar call in my life. I don't know why, I just know that it is. But going to the front of the church is hard because you're acknowledging something, right? 
And a lot of the time we go, I don't want anybody to look at me as I go up there. They're going to think I'm a basket case or they're thinking I'm struggling with this or I'm a mess about this or and I just don't want to be that guy. I'm not going up there. God can deal with me right here and he doesn't. Um, I have a really good friend. Um, he had two major issues with the church before he really came back to the Lord. One was tongues, and the other was altar calls. So he hated people praying out loud in tongues. And there's some biblical support for that. But God also knows how to offend us just right. And he hated people praying in tongues, and he hated altar calls. And so he comes to this church uh, at one point, and I think it was in the first prayer time that... um, one of our elders was praying with him and just starts praying in tongues. And he's just like, angry. And at the same time, this elder turns around and he's like, you're supposed to go up to the front of the church. And he's like, not happening. So the service goes on and um, end of the service comes along and the worship team goes back up. And this, our elder turns, looks at him and goes, you can go up now or you can go up later, but you're going up there, God's going to get you. Not going up. Worship starts, and finally he's like, he's just coming apart, you know. And so finally he's like, he goes up. And he goes up, and he gets, he's right here, and he gets down on his knees, and he's on his knees. And the same elder comes up behind him, puts his hands on his shoulders from behind him, and starts praying in tongues again. And... The two most offensive things to this guy in the world, and as soon as that happened, he has an experience where he felt dirt and sand on his knees and hands, could smell sweat and blood, and watch Jesus walk by him carrying the cross. He experienced it like he was there. And it's like, you can't conjure that up. So he has this incredible encounter with God, but apart from the two things that would most offend him and him being willing to be offended, he doesn't have that experience. Changed his life. He was not walking with the Lord at that point, so he wasn't like a semi-Christian. He was an anti-Christian, more or less. Um, so it was absolutely transformative. So going to the front of the church, asking someone to pray for you, you know, going over to someone and saying, hey, would you pray for me? I'm a mess. Or I just need a touch from God. It might be that. What is God saying to you? You can feel it. You know it. What, how are you responding? What about confessing your sin and your struggle to a brother or a sister? I think... Forgiveness comes much easier when we're specific about our sin. You know, I think the tendency is that, yeah, I could use some prayer. Okay, that's a prophetic church, they'll figure it out. And you just kind of hope that somebody nails it and that it's all, well, much more healing happens when we confess our sin, specific sin, one to another. Pray for one another that you would be healed. There's healing that transpires when we confess. Learning to encourage. 
Telling someone you love them, expressing your emotion openly and honestly. For some guys, like learning to be encouraging to one another is more difficult than anything else. Maybe it's the same for girls. Expressing your emotion to people that you care about. These are little ways. They're so small, guys, that we just gloss over them and we're like, I want the big thing. I want the call to Africa. Give me the John G. Lake thing where I just get on a boat and I get there and somebody walks up and they hand me my ticket and my money and I'm going to live off of it. I want that call. But I don't want to have to call my dad and tell him I love him. I don't have to call my brother or my sister and tell him I think they're great, much less do it in person. God help me. It's not the big things that prevent us from the presence of God. It's the little things. It's the go up to the front of the church. It's the get your hands up in worship. It's the sing out loud and tell me you love me's that keep us from the presence of God. We have to respond to the little things. That's how we meet him. The type of obedience that God requires of you will be different for you than it is for your friend. Two people, three people will be sitting together in an aisle and what God is asking of each of them will be different. Because he's personal. He speaks to all of us at the same time differently. The type of obedience will change for each of us. The key is doing what he says when he says it. If you come to church and God's like, I want you to go up to the front, and you go, not happening, you leave, it eats you for a week. When you come back the next week, going up to the front isn't going to do it. He's not a vending machine. The screen doesn't flash, hit D7, and we go, no, and we walk away. When we come back two weeks later, it's not the same. He's real. He's alive. Jesus is a man. So when he asks us to do something, we say no. What he's going to say to us the next time is not just hit D7 or go to the front. We've got to engage him again and start over and say, what are you asking me to do today? I'll do it. Whatever it would be. This is scary But if you want to talk about living a life of eternity, of eternal ramifications, this is where it starts. It is not with an intercontinental leaving. It is with a one small thing that God asks you to do. I've had different friends have many different experiences. I remember being in the coffee house one night and a guy, God moves on his heart to start to yell out loud, I like me, God. Thank you for me. Ten minutes, he's yelling out, God, I like me. Thank you for me. And if you knew this guy, you would know what a huge deal this was. Because this guy did not like me. I don't think until that moment, As we go through this process, God's teaching us that obedience is what keeps us in his presence. 
John 15 is all about abiding in the vine and in the presence of God. And he, he says that if you want to abide in my love, you obey. It's not what gets us into his love. It's what keeps us in his love. In the place of abiding is where we come to enjoy friendship with him. I think we're here because we all want to do these great things and live this great life for God. And I'm telling you guys, it's not in the big deal stuff that this goes down. It's in the little tiny stuff that has the huge impact. It was really cool. This morning I was, I was thinking through my notes and my phone buzzes and I got an email and it was my devotional and I open it up. And it's a story about an evangelist being in Africa, right? That's the calling that we all want. And he's in Africa, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and God's like, leave this village and this building now and run outside. Well, he'd kind of come and grown to hearing God's voice, and so he's like, okay. And out he goes, and he starts running, and the Lord's like, keep running. And he's just running out, and he gets out in the middle of this field, and there's a tree, and the Lord's like, stop and preach the gospel. Okay, and he starts preaching the gospel in the middle of the night to an open field. There's no one there. And as he gets to the point where he's, he's now telling people, this is how you receive Christ, he hears a man weeping up in the tree above him, and a guy climbs down weeping, gives, him, gives his life to Jesus, and he goes, I came out here in the middle of the night to hang myself. And the guy obviously didn't. You guys heard Ryan's story on Sunday about speaking to this man about being Martin Luther King. It's a little thing. Tell this guy he is a calling like Martin Luther King. It's so little. We just gloss over it. It's not going to China. Just tell him he's a calling like Martin Luther King. Josh Brinkman. <laughs> I was going to have him tell this story, but he couldn't be here tonight. Josh Brinkman, a few years ago, comes to a couple of us in church, and he goes, I feel like God wants me to play ultimate Frisbee. I'm supposed to drop out of worship, ministry, everything, and I'm supposed to play ultimate Frisbee. And I remember being like, there's no way. And I'm just, I'm just like, could this possibly be God, you know? There's no way. And I didn't say anything, thankfully. Um, but I'm just like, really? So he quits everything, joins Ultimate Frisbee. And over the course of the Ultimate Frisbee season, which I don't even know what that is, um, all but one person on the team gets saved. And they're all now like normal members of our church or serving in different ministries, different places. And I remember at one point, there was like four of them sitting across the rows, and they had all come to church the same night, independent of one another. Nobody planned it. They all just showed up, and they're like, you come here? And they're like, no, I've never been here before. And all four of them are sitting there, side by side by side, just weeping through the entire service, experiencing God. Because they didn't know God yet, but God was saying, go to the church. And they did, and they met him. He didn't tell them, go up to the front. He just said, go. They went and they met him. 
extraordinary. And after he got the whole team saved, he quit Ultimate Frisbee and went back to the other stuff. I could tell you 50 stories about little things that had huge impact on people. God, just do this. Go say this. Go give this person a hug. Go tell them this. When we don't do it, we miss out on so much, not only for them, but for us. Because it's through these little steps of obedience that we come to know that God is involved in every moment of my life. That's what the whole thing is about. Little things of obedience lead us to discover that God is involved in every moment, facet, aspect of your life. Every detail. I was having a conversation with someone this week and they were like, man, you know, I really hope that God's got bigger problems than my little problems. And I said, really? I don't. I want him involved in all the little stuff. And I'm sure that he is. It's when we say yes to the little thing that we find out God is also there for the big thing. If I don't say yes to the little thing, I don't find out and know that God's going to be there when he says it's China. It's Africa. I haven't developed a daily walking knowledge of God to base my life upon. This, guys, is John 17.3. Eternal life is this, that they know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How do we get to know him? When he, little things speaks to our heart, we let him have it. Okay, God. If you want my hands up, if you want me in the front of the church, if you want me in the back of the church, He had me on my knees in an intersection in Tennessee yelling to the mountains that Jesus is Lord at one point. I have no idea why that was. There's still no good reason for it. I just know that he said, do this. And I could not. I was fasting this day, and he tells me to do this, and I'm just like, that's not God, you know? It's just like, that's too stupid. There's no point in doing that. And I couldn't get away from the thought of going out there. I, you know, you, you go this way, and you're praying about this, and you're trying to get away from it, and you know the feeling. Go outside, get on your knees, and do it. And I couldn't get away from it until I went and did it. I still have no good reason for why it happened. But I'll tell you, the mountains in Tennessee, Tennessee know that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you miss an opportunity to obey God. The right response is not, it's over. I blew it. The correct response is, okay, God, I know I just missed this. Forgive me. I want to get it right. Give me something else to do. Give me something else to do. Tell me to do something. I'll do it. I'll do anything. I'll go hug a chihuahua. Whatever it is, God, I'll do it. Give me another chance. Listen, God's all about the moment that you turn and say yes. He's not waiting for you to say no, and when you miss a chance, he doesn't go, all right, see ya, and walk away. He stands waiting for the thing that's going to trigger your heart for you to turn and say yes. 
probably the greatest moment of failure in my entire life became the greatest encounter that I ever had with God, and it changed the way that I saw him and knew him and understood him. It was in the moment where I had utterly failed God and everyone else around me, and I just turned back to him, and it was like, I've failed you and everyone. And he goes, you're right. And I was like, I knew it. I did. And he's like, you're right. But I'm the only one whose feelings about you have not changed. It completely changed the way that I understood and knew God and that my failure could not separate me from him unless I turned from him. When you miss a chance, the first thing to do is turn back and say, God, i got to get in your face again because I need you to give me another opportunity. I know there's more with us together. Tell me something. Give me something to do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask for each of us that between now and Sunday, that God would give us something to do, something to say. doesn't matter what it is for each of us. It just matters that we respond and we obey. And then it's up to you to do it when he says it. So don't pray this if you're not ready to do this yet, because he will. He will give you the opportunity. But Father... Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that we can know your voice and that you are such a good shepherd. Thank you that you're a good father and a good friend. For each one in the room right now that is willing to to hear you, give them two things. One, a word of direction, a command that they can obey and access and touch more of you. And two, the courage and the grace to carry it out. I'll be the first one to admit every time you speak to me, I need courage and grace to do it. But that's part of what we get with you, is that you not only give us the commands, but you give us the power and the ability to carry it out. So whatever it may be, big or small, for everybody in here, speak to each of us. Give us an opportunity to obey you, to abide in you, to know you more deeply. And give us the grace to be able to carry it out. Father, we love you. We want to know you better. Lord, I ask for everybody in this room that at the end of their life, when they stand in front of you, that they would hear you say, not only well done, good and faithful servant, but it's so good to see you, old friend. One here would have the privilege of, like Moses, being friends of God. Not just believers, not just Christians, not even just servants, as great as that privilege is, but friends of God. Draw them into this life, this privilege 
being friends of you. Your friends. Knowing you so well. Knowing the way that you work and the way that you are. And knowing how you are in their lives. Your feelings, your attitudes. Give us that privilege of being your friends. We love you. Amen.